Welcome to 49. My name is Judd Devermont. I'm the director of the AFCA program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. I was the National Intelligence Officer for Africa and worked at the National Security Council. And I'm Nicole Willett. I'm Chief of Staff at the Open Society Foundation and, like Judd, have served at the National Security Council as well as the U.S. State Department and Senate Foreign Relations. This podcast has everything you need to know about U.S. policy towards Sub-Saharan Africa. What happened in the past? What should the Biden administration do? Plus, we promise to deliver the goods in 15 minutes or less, one country at a time. This episode is about Malawi, and we are delighted to be joined by Johnny Carson, former Assistant Secretary of State for Africa and National Intelligence Officer for Africa, as well as U.S. Ambassador to Zimbabwe, Uganda, and Kenya. Judd, break it down for us. U.S. policy towards Malawi historically focused on the country's relationships with the rest of Southern Africa. In fact, several former ambassadors opined that the United States had very little substantive interest in Malawi. There were concerns, however, about the spillover from the Mozambican Civil War and both frustration and elation, probably in equal measure, that the U.S.-educated President Hastings Banda had formal ties to apartheid South Africa. Congress criticized Malawi for being on the wrong side of history, but Banda's policies aligned with the views of many anti-communist, pro-South African U.S. officials. Banda also recognized Taipei, which echoed the U.S. position until Nixon went to China, and he backed the United States on Vietnam. A recurrent bilateral irritant was U.S. development assistance to Tanzania over Malawi. In fact, Banda used to say, we're your real friends and you're spending all your money on Tanzania. He also thought that money to Tanzania was like pouring water into sand. Banda's autocratic rule increasingly became a problem. He briefly kicked out the Peace Corps, and U.S. diplomats were careful about engaging with Malawian interlocutors for fear they could be thrown into jail for talking to the U.S. Embassy. Banda also expelled Jehovah's Witness. U.S. diplomats did raise human rights issues and in the 1990s tried to push Banda to liberalize. They even asked Zimbabwean leader Robert Mugabe to help. Banda finally agreed to a referendum, in part because donors threatened to cut off aid, and he said Malawians should either vote for him or vote for chaos. Well, Malawians did vote. They voted against him in the referendum and against him in the election. The United States became very engaged in development and fighting AIDS, HIV. They tried to encourage Malawi to shift from tobacco as its key cash crop. During the Obama administration, there was some anxiety about the transfer of power between President Mutharika, who died in office, and his vice president, Joyce Banda. Fortunately, the military refused to allow any shenanigans. Banda was sworn in and later had a meeting with President Obama, Malawi's first in at least a decade. Malawi today is under the rule of President Lazarus Chikwera. It was named the Economist's Country of the Year in 2020. Chikwera came to power after the courts voided the election in 2019. And as of June 2020, the president has not received high-level U.S. attention. Ambassador Carson, I've given you know probably a very small thumbnail of the history, but any big success or big failure in your mind? Thanks, Judd. I think one enormous success was the actions by the U.S. government and the State Department in particular in ensuring that there would be a democratic and lawful transition from the late Bizu Mutharika to Vice President Joyce Banda. As you alluded to in your opening, 
when President Mutharika died suddenly, there was an effort in Malawi pushed by politicians in his party to deny Vice President Joyce Banda the right to succeed to the presidency. The U.S. government saw this action occurring, and in a broad whole-of-government approach, we reached out uh, very energetically to stop the military and the politicians from destroying the country's nascent democracy. It was not just the U.S. military and AFRICOM, which did play a very important role. The then commander of AFRICOM reached out to the commanding general in the Malawian forces and encouraged them to stand down. I myself remember talking to the foreign minister as well as the defense minister and the Malawian ambassador here in Washington, D.C., to say that if, in fact, the military engaged uh, in a coup d'etat or participated in an extra-legal transition of government, then Malawi would be subject to having all of its assistance cut off except for food and humanitarian and health assistance. We stressed to them very powerfully the need for Malawi to keep on a democratic track, and I think that effort was successful. As one of the responses to that, yes, President Joyce Banda was received uh, in the White House, but even probably more significant than that was the fact that Secretary of State Hillary Clinton actually traveled to Malawi to meet with Joyce Banda and to participate in a series of meetings with women and government leaders. That was the first time a U.S. Secretary of State had ever made an official visit to Malawi and gave the U.S. government through Secretary Hillary Clinton an opportunity to show support for that government's uh, democracy, show support for what was then Africa's second female president, and to continue to demonstrate U.S. support for Malawi in general. So I think that was a success and a reflection of uh, the commitment, certainly throughout the Obama administration and the first Obama administration, that we were committed to promoting democracy and showing support for it. I think that's been a, a very, very important effort. Pastor Carson, that was a masterful retelling. Given what you said about high-level engagement, whole-of-government approach, Nicole, how should that be the hallmark of the Biden strategy towards Malawi? What should the Biden strategy towards Malawi be? Thanks. And, you know, Ambassador Carson is, as ever, being modest about his ability to pull together that whole-of-government strategy. It was a really remarkable period of time. I remember it well when this happened. And it was one of those moments where you really do stand back in awe of diplomacy and what can be accomplished when we reach out, when we have the relationships, the one-on-one -on -one relationships to be able to connect and reach out. So that brings me to, you know, where how the Biden administration can engage. And of course, the answer, I think Johnny just walked us through, which is to rebuild those relationships, right? I mean, we're obviously coming out of a time when most of the continent was not terribly interested in what the United States had to say. 
for good reason. And I think as we enter into this period of discussion, there's a huge opportunity for the government to, particularly in country, to build those relationships, but also then to make sure that we're able to have Malawi high on the democracy development and economic growth agenda. Now, that's not an easy thing to do. And luckily, I'm going to ask Johnny in a moment how to actually do that. But I will say we should take notice of the words that Banda said to us many years ago of, you know, you say we're your friend, but you put all your money in Tanzania. Well, as we know now, we've got some challenges in that neighborhood. And I do think, given how positive this moment is, that we should move forward with engagement. I would also say that we really don't want to forget about civil society here, right? We don't want to get too far over our skis on another sort of big man leadership because there is a lot that the president's doing that's exciting. But we do want to make sure we support that engagement with a real clear sign to those who have been doing a lot of work in Malawi for a lot of years to bring this country along that we support them, I think, both rhetorically and as much as possible through development assistance. But Johnny... How does one put Malawi on the intergovernment map? I think that one of the things that should happen is an invitation from the administration for Malawi to participate in the Biden Conference on Democracy. We know that all countries will not be invited, and we know that quite a few African countries probably will not be invited But there are a number of countries in Africa that have demonstrated democratic progress and democratic commitment and democratic courage. And I think the current government in Malawi fits that bill. The current president was elected just last year after flawed elections took place in 2019. Those elections brought back the uh, former president, Peter Mutharika, who was the younger brother of the president who died in office. Those elections in 2019 were deeply flawed and, in fact, uh, were the result of a manipulation by people associated with the former president. The Supreme Court of Malawi courageously, and for the first time in Africa, overturned the election of Peter Mutharika, said that it had to be rerun again. It was rerun in the summer of 2020, in the middle of the COVID pandemic, and the new president, Lazarus Chakwiri, was elected by a substantial vote of the people. That happened because of the courageous behavior of the Supreme Court and the commitment of the losers in 2019 to take their issues to court and win, not to try and overturn a bad election through violence and rioting on the street, but to use the law offices and the courts to overturn the election. It was done. And I think uh, it would be appropriate as a start, as I say, for Malawi to be one of those African countries invited to the United States to participate in the Democracy Conference. Second, I would encourage the U.S. government and the White House to make a special effort to invite all five members of the Malawi Supreme Court to come to the United States as official visitors, make a program that involves them in visiting our own Supreme Court, recognizing uh, the courageous steps that uh, they took, 
and perhaps find an opportunity for Secretary of State Tony Blinken to honor them for democratic courage at the State Department in some manner. I think those would be two very strong initial steps that could be taken. Pastor Carson, I I love that. I was going to ask Nicole for a a big idea, but I think that is a big idea. Nicole, do you want to add something? Johnny really, you know, put down a pretty good marker there. Listen, Johnny knows best. I would just add one other piece, which is that although she's really busy right now with the Northern Triangle, I could sure see Vice President Kamala Harris in Malawi, really in the hearts and minds game, building relationships because trips do this but so does new energy on those trips, building relationships that we could really work through diplomatically for a long time to come. So I'd love to see her in Malawi. So Ambassador Carson, if Vice President Kamala Harris goes to Malawi, there is a question, should she dance? Because here's the thing, Ambassador Carson, every time a U.S. official goes to Africa and dances, and you know this, Secretary Clinton went to Malawi and got a little in trouble for this. Not in trouble, gentle ribbing. As a former Assistant Secretary of State, what's the policy? You think that's fair, unfair? Should you dance? I think it's absolutely essential. It would be an affront to the host to be asked to uh, join in a celebratory dance and not do it. I think uh, it is appropriate and wise and diplomatic for any Secretary of State, whether it is a female or a male Secretary of State, they should all show appreciation and recognition of the honor that's being given to them by joining an African dance and celebration. Well, that's the show. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and check out our analysis at csis.org backslash Africa. Thanks.